Now, you may remember last week we spoke of the passing of Jack Mundy, leader of the New South Wales branch of the Builders' Labourers' Federation, member of the Communist Party of Australia. On first blush, hearing that bio, one might take him to be an obscure figure, a man of little consequence, yet he played a monumental role in post-war Australian history. And his impact on modern environmental politics is arguably, arguably without parallel. As I said, Monday passed away uh, earlier this month, and we now have the opportunity to speak to Professor Verity Bergman, adjunct professor of politics in the School of Social Sciences at Monash University and co-author of Green Bands, Red Union, Environmental Activism and the New South Wales Builders' Labourers' Federation. Thanks very much for joining us today, Verity. You're very welcome. Now, a big question to begin with, Professor Bergman, but particularly for the benefit of our younger listeners, let's start with who was Jack Mundy? What was his background and how did he come to play such a prominent role in Australian political life? Well, he was uh, a working class boy who grew up on the Atherton Table land in far north Queensland where he learned to love nature and resent the you know, developers encroaching on the space in 1951, uh, Parramatta Rugby League Club uh, talent scouts enticed him to Sydney. So he moved down there and uh, experienced environmental shock. He noticed that um, his young son was having respiratory problems from industrial pollution in Western Sydney, that the CBD was um, becoming more and more dominated by uh, high-rise buildings, sun shining on fewer streets and he became very concerned about how developers were just doing what they wanted to to increase their profits and nobody was stopping them. The um, coalition government was very much in the hands of developers and in those days there wasn't legislation that could protect valuable old buildings or stop green spaces being, you know, cleared to make way for luxury, you know, developments and so on. And he became um, se- uh, Secretary of the New South Wales Builders Labourers Federation in 1968 and developed a new concept of unionism, as he called it. And that included a um, commitment to the social responsibility of labour that the workers had a right to insist that their labour not be used in harmful ways. Mm. So this is how really the Green Bands movement developed when the builders' labourers were persuaded that they had to stop the terrible destruction that was taking place. And so when resident activists who had unsuccessfully tried to stop terrible things happening um, turned to the people who were employed to start the demolition and those people had a social conscience and refused to do it, that's how the Green Bands movement started. Certainly, and there's a lot of places in Sydney that will forever be linked with the BLF and uh, Jack Mundy, uh, places such as Centennial Park, Kelly's Bush, The Rocks, and so many, many more. Uh, you've already touched on it there, and, and I guess we don't have time to go into the, into the history in, in great detail, and we certainly encourage all of our listeners to learn more of the history by getting a copy of your book. Uh, and, but And there's a second edition, um, nine, uh, 2017, and the subtitle is The Saving of a City. Awesome. But 
Uh, so, and I guess that largely deals with with the green bands and, and their function. But how did how did Monday come to build such a powerful coalition in defence of the these green spaces and the heritage architecture in Sydney? I mean, it's often joked about, for instance, that the burly working class men of the BLF and the upper middle class women campaigning to save Kelly's Bush made for very strange uh, political bedfellows. Yet it proved to be an enormously effective alliance. And did Monday himself have a gift? for creating such relationships or does it say something more about the political atmosphere of this time? He had a, a, a huge capacity to build alliances. He called it this winning alliance. And what, how he did it was that he, he would say, um, he would persuade the workers to take a total view. You know, what is the use of fighting for higher wages and better conditions, you know, if you choke to death in polluted and planless cities? And he emphasised that it was workers that suffered disproportionately from environmental problems. So they had the most at stake. They had the greatest interest in better urban planning. And also he would stress that, and we are the people that can actually stop the destruction and then the middle class, if you like, you know, environmental activists could see that they had been powerless to stop the destruction. It was only if they linked up with you know, the working class activists who they would not normally have had anything to do with that this powerful winning alliance could actually achieve extraordinary things and over five years prevent so much destruction. And because of that powerful combination, they were able then to make governments respond to the challenge so that governments then improve the heritage and environmental legislation. And it also changed the culture of town planning uh, because people could see that what they were doing was so much better. I mean, the rocks would have been a high-rise concrete and glass jungle. Uh, The oldest buildings in the country would have been lost. It just would have been a disaster. And of course, I mean, tourism would have suffered. It's, you know, millions of people go there each year. They wouldn't have gone to go and see um, concrete and, cl- and glass skyscrapers. Certainly. Now, again, unfortunately, we don't have time to go into too much detail here, Professor Bergman, but it's worth mentioning that Monday's New South Wales BLF wasn't just devoted to environmental causes. It also, for instance, lent its support to the early phase of the gay rights movement years before the first Mardi Gras and certainly a long time before virtually any other trade union. Can you, I guess, um, expand on that for our listeners a little bit and the BLF's involvement in perhaps uh, what's called the, the pink bands at the time? Yes. Yes, at Macquarie University, a residential college uh, expelled a a gay activist and the New South Wales BLF announced a ban on construction work that was going on at Macquarie University and this forced the University Council to ensure that that student uh, was reinstated to his residential college. There was also a ban at Sydney University when the professorial board tried to stop the first women's studies course going ahead and so they banned construction work at Sydney University and sure enough the women's studies course went ahead and in Redfern they helped the local um, Aboriginal community there resist a developer by you know refusing to be involved in, in the work and that then formed the basis of the Redfern Aboriginal Community Housing Scheme. It certainly paints an incredible picture, doesn't it, that, you know, that a union can be so involved in social, environmental and economic justice issues outside of Mm. perhaps what's now considered, you know, the the self-interest of of some Mm. unions. And Monday had a a great 
political legacy him, himself and perhaps least known about his legacy his, is his impact on environmental activism in the sense that even the great uh, Petra Kelly, founder of the German Greens, uh, took inspiration from the BLF Green Bands and even our own Bob Brown has also credited his influence. What, what can you say about that, that broader sort of political influence of someone such as well, Jack Mundy? Yes, that's right. Uh, Petra Kelly visited Sydney during the Green Bands and was so impressed about this winning alliance between environmentalists and uh, workers with power at the point of production, that when she went back to Germany, she decided that the Greens was the name to call her, you know, German political party. And so that was how the word green then spreads around the world and becomes associated with environmental politics. But she got the word, really, from Green Bands. And Jack had coined the term Green Band in February 1973. They were originally called Black Bands, which is the normal word when you know, workers refuse to work on something. Um, but Black Jack argued that Green Band was a better terminology because it expressed you know, greenness, nature, etc., and had more positive connotations than a normal union Black Band. So in a way, he helped invent the word green. Certainly. And what it means. Now, finally, Professor Bergman, we're living in incredible times with uh, issues such, of course, uh, of course, with the, the COVID-19 pandemic, but more broadly, the pressing issue of climate change and the activism mm. that's arisen around that. We've had, you know, the huge student strike uh, movement. We've had uh, things such as the Extinction Rebellion and so forth. And there's increasingly environmental movements. But unfortunately, with some notable exceptions, the trade union movements still seem to be somewhat absent from these environmental campaigns at least in the in the sense uh, in comparing them comparing them sorry to the BLF and the green bands and so forth now of, of course you know it's it's a difficult question and i and i can't imagine anyone being able to answer it but do you see any of these sorts of links that jack mundy was so uh, you know renowned for the links between environmental movements and unions do you see them forming again now or or do you see any sort of uh, i guess potential for that kind of coalition and the kind well, of politics and legacy of, of the BLF and, and Jack well, Mundy? They have, they have always been there. In 1992, the Australian Council of Trade Unions um, put out a 32-page pamphlet about you know, the greenhouse effect and how important it was that Australia moved to a low-carbon economy and that in doing so, this would ensure sustainable, plentiful jobs into the future. And, you know, they've always been sort of formally committed to that sort of project. Unfortunately, some particular unions that are very, very closely linked to fossil fuel extraction and so on uh, tend to sort of capture, um, the, you know, get the publicity. And so in the public mind, people think uh, that the union movement you know, doesn't care. It's just, it's, it's absolutely wrong. And internationally, the just transition movement has been uh, developing through international trade union networks, which makes the important point that workers can't be expected to not only be the people most um, likely to suffer the consequences of climate change, but also in when it comes to mitigating climate change, also be the first to suffer. The society has to ensure, as we did during you know, the COVID pandemic, that people who, for public health reasons, get stood down should be supported so that workers don't fear job loss from environmental legislation. And they shouldn't need to because, as Jack Mundy always said, just to repair the damage already done the planet will require millions of jobs. So he wanted to explode that myth 
and he called it a mess, and it is a mess, that environmental protection costs jobs. And so for him, the important thing was for workers to be committed to environmental protection and for environmentalists to be committed to uh, preserving and protecting workers' livelihoods, that if environmental policies threaten jobs, then those workers had to be supported to find jobs that were just as good in industries that were good for the planet.